Welcome to the Stockman Grass Farmer Podcast, where our mission is to help create a healthy planet and people through profitable grass-based livestock production. Grass farming is a 24-7 job and you can't always get away, so we've put together this podcast so that you can listen while you work or whatever you're doing, but always on your schedule, whenever and wherever you want. Be sure to check out the episode notes for links to freebies and special offers. Join our email family and stay up to date on our happenings and like us on social media. This is section three of Annabelle's discussion of qualities and attributes of forage-fed beef. Okay, we feed the silage in the room. And first of all, uh, remember that silage is a fermented feed, okay? So silage is never stable. It is, there's fermentation happening. The first things that are fermented are all the sugars. Very quickly, all the sugars available, simple sugars. Uh, then the starches get fermented. If there is no starch, then fermentation starts uh, to work on working on, on um, the most uh, degradable fiber sources, which are the uh, uh, hemicelluloses. Uh, and the problem, the, the then we have very low sugars, so uh, simple sugars in in, in any silage. Most likely, we, we're, not, we're, having, uh, we're adding water with this silage to the rumen. Silages are often 18, 20, 22% dry matter. You may say, well, that might be enough. But that's enough dry matter when we're talking grass, green-growing grass and grazing grass. Um, they tend, these silages tend to be washy when they are uh, uh, 20, 22% dry matter. Many times they are. So they're not compensating dry matter. Uh, depending on where you get the silage from, if it is uh, a warm season species or a cool season, you may have more or less available nitrogen tanner, uh, in, in, that silo, in that silage. Let's say we're talking alfalfa silage here. We got rid of all the sugars very quickly. Alfalfa may have, uh, or, or white clover, may have 6 7%, 8% sugars in, most, in the best case. Most of the time, it's five percent sugars, very low in sugars. So, fermentation gets rid of gets rid of all the sugars right away. Then the proteins start to get fermented, and nitrogen gets released. So, any of these silages that are rich in protein, they also have high nitrogen content. So, you're feeding the silage on on a already rich nitrogen con containing diet. You're, you're worsening the situation, okay? So if we want to feed silage, we want to do, feed the silage into something that has a low nitrogen content, unless we're talking, I mean, here we're talking pasture silage or alfalfa silage. If we're, we're talking corn silage, it's a different story, okay? It's a, the, 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 the story is different. Um, but we're talking the pasture silages. The pasture silages will have also we're trying to bring with them some off, off or odd flavors. <coughs> some of these volatile compounds of uh, fermentation would actually get absorbed pretty quickly and they end up, they're lipid soluble, so that they end up in the fats. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is we may have to have a very good reason to just to rely on, on silage only to finish a steer or fatten a steer or a heifer. Might want to do that in combination with something else. I don't know if that's answering anything, but uh, 
And we were going to talk about, go back to that on Friday, I think. Okay. Uh, let me. Question. Yeah. Uh, all these numbers were predicated on alfalfa hay. Um, yes. Is it an alfalfa pasture also? This is alfalfa pasture. Okay. How do these numbers relate to just strictly grass? No alfalfa. They're very, very similar. Uh, yes, when, when we're talking about the grass, this, uh, we say pasture here is an alfalfa fescue mixture, okay. but they're more than 50% alfalfa. Uh, they really relate, they're pretty similar, and if you look at the research uh, out of Clinsom, that they've done uh, several pastures, uh, it's pretty consistent. Uh, you may not see uh, this ratio that's low, maybe it's going to get to 1.6, but it's going to be below 2 to 1 omega-6, omega-3, they're pretty consistent. And, and that's something amazing. We're finding that as long as the grass, these pastures are growing, uh, growing pastures and, and good quality pastures, the numbers are very, very consistent. And I, I, we've done now a study that I'm just finishing. We went and compared uh, several winter annuals to the Kaley wheat, um, cereal rye, uh, and alfalfa. In, in separate fields, and uh, the three of them, these three winter annuals, they all look so much alike in these lipid profiles that it's amazing. Um, alfalfa, yeah, it looks a little slightly different to these three, but uh, not that much different. Let me see if I have something else here that I would like to show. <coughs> And this study, this was uh, with heavier steers. That other one was the same thing, but with light heifers. This is with heavier steers. What we did here, we, we pasture backgrounded the animals and then fin feedlot finished them with linseed, linseed oil uh, without, without or with the addition of linseed oil. Linseed oil is an unsaturated source of, uh, of uh, lipids. And uh, it is suggested that providing this linseed oil, you can actually uh, modify that fatty acid ratio to a higher omega-3, lower omega-6. Pasture here in the middle of the way, and then this is again, the backgrounding in confinement, and then pasture finished, like in the previous study that I showed. Um, back fat thickness, these animals were pretty fat. We're targeting always for at least a third of an inch. And here we have more than a half an inch of back fat. We kind of overfattened these steers a little bit. Um, shear force, very similar. The marbling scores, similar also. And then since we have a similar marbling, we may have similar uh, juiciness. Water holding capacity is pretty much the same. And why this shear force is similar, maybe is because the, the connective tissue content is similar. And uh, I think for, for most of you, uh, one of the main challenges is going to be how do you get these animals to produce you meat that is low and consistently low in connective tissue. That is going to be, I think, a target for the future. We've been 
expending a lot of years and time on, on, on marbling and fatness and getting the animals to a minimum level of fatness or fat, of uh, fat, back fat, cobra fat. And that's great. That gives us the finishing and the looks and the animals will look nice. But that doesn't tell the whole story. That doesn't tell us if that's going to be tender or not so tender meat. That creates a saleable product, but still the problem with tenderness may be there. And it's more associated to connective tissue and connective tissue is associated to genetics and management. If we are hard with the animals, they have a harsh, difficult life. If they don't have a luxury life, <laughs> luxurious life, they may create, develop more connective tissue. So again, I think it's going to be a balance between fatness and management, handling of these animals through stalker and the finishing phase and the genetics that we have. Yes, sir. Do we have one back there? Are you saying that there is less connective tissue <coughs> if it is a low-stress animal? Yes. If you have the genetics for it. Genetics are associated to, to connective tissue. Uh, I'm not in favor of against the different breeds, but we tend to see within the British breeds lower connective tissue than compared to the Indicus or Brahman crosses. And even within the British breeds, there are some that tend to have a little more, develop a little more connective tissue um, than others. Yes, sir. If the frames were uh, the threes and four animal types, uh, are they have less connective tissue than the I don't know that. I cannot answer the frame score and connective tissue. What I can say that the three and fours are easier to fatten younger. And the age has to do with connective tissue. So if you get the animal finished within the two years of age, two and a half years of age, then you're likely to hit a low level, low content of connective tissue, low proportion. If you're above two and a half years of age, closer to three, maybe you're going to be within the more higher connective tissue content. And, 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 and also that's associated, associated with the animal's life because why would you be slaughtering or harvesting an animal that is three years old? If it's not genetics related, then there is something during the process from weaning or even before weaning that went very slow. Maybe he went, the animal went through a period of restriction and the struggle and that creates a, a more um, connective tissue itself. You see what I'm saying? The age is, a, we, we, we call that age, but age is associated with the type of life. If you want to slaughter a steer at two years of age, well, that steer may would need a, a nice life. Otherwise, it's not going to get finished and slaughtered at two years of age. You, you see what I'm saying? Out of all the, back in the 50s, when they had the, uh, Western grass-fed finish pigs. Uh, traditionally, what would happen while those animals were so old is that they lost most of the weight they gained in the winter mm -hmm. that they gained in the summer. Mm -hmm. So it was a real slow process of to, to get them up to that time yeah. But that doesn't create tenderness. That doesn't create tenderness. That creates uh, maybe a little more tougher meat. Why? Because when you're in a no gain or remember that these are young animals. Like any, any young individual, the natural 
tendencies to grow, to develop, grow and develop, okay? If we halt that process, we stop the growth, that individual is going through some heavy stress. We tolerate that, we call that restriction, and then we say that we compensate that in a feed yard or somewhere else. Here, that stress may show later down the road. And actually, uh, it happens the same thing in the feed, even if you go through a feed yard, a feed lot. In the feed lot, you, know, you don't have tender beef all the time. And that, sometimes that's related to that period of the struggle and very low gains or, or weight loss from weaning and even before weaning. So think about ourselves when we are going through a diet or weight loss. We are in trouble. I mean, we, we're tense, we're nervous, we're losing weight. It's nothing, it's not easy, it's not really something desirable and creates a stress. And so, and more so in these animals that are growing, we're not talking adults, we're not talking cows that we are, we know that they will lose weight and back, and, and then they will recuperate that weight. We're talking about growing animals, heifers, steers are growing. So we stop that growth. It's a, it's a tremendous uh, impact on, on, on the kind of, on, on the distribution of the body mass, and the, the, the actually we're preparing that animal uh, to a difficult life, so most likely that connective tissue is going to develop. And it, actually that animal is also exercising for it because it's searching for food, it's nervous, it's tense, it's exercising and developing muscle uh, for a more uh, for difficult situation. Uh, am I making any sense with this? So, uh, again, a nice life would <laughs> be slightly better for the, from the, this standpoint and uh, the tenderness uh, comments that I was making yesterday. Is there a relation between how long it's aged? We were talking about that with flavor. Is that Hope you're enjoying the presentation and we'll jump right back in, but I wanted to first remind you to visit the show notes for freebies, deals, and more. While you're there, don't forget to join our email family to stay up to date on all the current events. Now back to the show. Okay. The age that I'm talking about is the, the chronological age, not the aging of the meat, okay? Yeah, but I'm, I'm asking if you, if you did age the meat, would that affect it as well as flavor? Yes. Yes, and uh, we will talk a little bit about that, but just to say a few words, the aging uh, the meat in a cooler is a way to tenderize the meat. You, know, if you, you harvest the meat, it's uh, right after harvest, it's very tough then it starts to give because of this enzymatic um, degradation of the muscle. It breaks all the muscle fibers into, into meat. We create meat, start, crea start creating the meat three days after harvest, not really before. Before that, it's all actual muscle. And there are a series of enzymatic uh, reactions and, 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 and interactions that happen to, to lose the, the muscle fibers. And that takes over and over 21 days, but it happens over 21 days at least. The first seven days are very relevant during the aging process. But that's when we ten really tenderize the meat. And seven days are important. 14 days give us a little more homogeneity, more consistency. <coughs> but uh, the first seven days, eight days are the most relevant. Uh, tenderizing the meat, if it wasn't, if it, uh, it was 
high in connective tissue, it's going to help uh, through the aging. The risk that we run into when we don't have an excessive amount of fat, or let's, let's do it the reverse, when we have a lean beef, lean caucus, is that our, our off, off flavors or odd flavors will increase more in these lean carcasses than in a fat, regular carcass. So odd flavors and off flavors, both. Um, undesirable flavors, uh, rancid type of flavors. Uh, rancidity becomes uh, uh, an issue when, when you, we don't have this, this back, this back uh, um, cobra, I mean this, this layer of back fat protecting that carcass. And uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, carcasses, grass-fed produced carcasses in the coolers, but you can see uh, everything. You can see from well-finished with a good back fat blanket on the outside mm -hmm. to nothing that looks red and blue, <laughs> like game. I've seen everything from, you know, stalker steers that were harvested as fat steers. They look like deer. You know, they have almost no fat on the outside, dry, overaged meat, thinking that's going to tenderize it. And really what you do is you create a problem with flavors and rancidity and all these things. And lose a lot of weight also. You'd be selling 30 or 40% less carcass if you age it for too long and it hasn't had enough, it, it didn't have enough, right. enough of blanket on the outside. So yes, aging helps, but there is a limit to it. And it all depends on how fat and how well finished that animal was. Well, at home, uh, we don't, we're not an example because we don't age the meat too much. In three, four days, it goes to the market. And that's, uh, that's a custom thing. People don't think about aging, really. But um, I would say that we're, we're wasting, we're losing a little bit of our quality there because if we waited, we kept the carcasses in the cooler for at least 10 days. We'll be eating much more tender meat much tender. So, yes, I wouldn't say just don't age, just age, but 7, 14 days, 7, 10 days, it's about the time where you can go cut. If you're doing dry aging, um, you, can cut, you don't have to, in my opinion, you wouldn't have to have the carcasses in the cooler for 20, 21 or 28 days, and that's money. I mean, the, one of the reasons they don't do age, they don't do age there because the cost of the cooler space and, and you know, all these problems. Uh, yes, sir? That, the moisture, is that a moisture loss on the carcass you, when you age it? Or is For, actually it's a lot of loss of moisture loss. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, it is a significant uh, loss. Sometimes it's 25%. It could go from 5% if you will manage carcass to 25 if, you, if you're not careful. So if you have an extra lean carcass and uh, you're not really controlling that cooler so the temperature fluctuate and uh, they're not dropped to uh, two Celsius, that's uh, 30, 38, 38 Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. two Celsius. Well, if they're not managed properly to the proper temperature, I have to look that up. I'm, don't remember the, the, the conversion, but uh, yes, you could lose a lot of water. And so 
fast chilling is something that you don't want to do. You don't want to freeze the carcass in, in a fast manner. You want the slow drop of temperature, but not too slow or, or jumping all over. It has to go to the, to the proper temperature uh, fairly quick. That means uh, in, in less than 12 hours. But it doesn't have to be done in five or two. Again, the, most of these packing plants or processing plants, they don't do a bad job of that. They know exactly how to chill, how to... Sometimes the risk is when you have a, uh, just a few carcasses and you end up on one of the sides of the cooler and the sides of the cooler are, tend to be colder uh, and sometimes the meat freezes on the outside. Or, so it'd be nice to have a, if you, if you are the only ones with carcasses in that cooler, it'd be nice to have this cheesecloth blankets that they make that slow down the chilling on the outside. Or just have your carcasses in between the other ones that are already <laughs> there. Yeah, but they're cold. They're not really freezing. But they're protecting your new carcasses from, from getting frozen. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. In this study, yeah, they were all the same age. Well, I should say within the two-month range of curve, not exactly the same age. How does the weaning mechanism of the animal affect the development of, I mean, and, and the stress involved in that? Here? Uh, <coughs> as far as age weaning, how, how do you do yes. it? Yes. Uh, my suggestion is that we do it... Um, That calf um, is gaining, the little calf is gaining on his mother most likely more than his, he would be gaining by himself a month or two after winning. Unless he's in a very difficult pasture and his mother is losing weight and everything is a chaos. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we, more than the process of winning, I would look at when I'm winning. And uh, I would like to have a pasture of quality for that calf to go to before making that decision. If it's going to be at four months of age, six months of age, eight months of age, or even later. So adjusting that is more important than how to win. That's my opinion. Uh, if that calf was on his mother having a difficult time and that difficult time is l gaining less than a pound a day, in my view. Again, you ask me for this research, and I'm going to say I don't have enough research to back this up, but this is our experience. If you are below one pound a day, that calf is growing l one pound a day on his mother, something that's not too good for him, because he, have, he will be doing better than that. He should be doing better than that. If he's in that situation, then yes, you can wean him to almost any diet, pen-fed or grass, that you could prepare for that calf. And he's most likely the little calf is going to do better by himself. But that's the situation that we're not into most of the time. Most of the time we are into a situation where cows are doing well, fairly well. The calves are above a pound a day. Little calves, sometimes they are two pounds a day, even more. So then we have to consider if we're, when we're going to wean that calf, is that calf going to be 
able to keep that gain, that performance of, of one and a half pounds a day? If he can do that, then we can go ahead and wean. But if he can't do that, then we might be better off just keeping that calf on the cow. Uh, the way how we do wean, we just separate the calf. I know that many of you do, do the fence weaning and uh, there's less stress. Um, what do you call that? Fence? Uh, uh, hot fence? Well, we don't, but uh, because of numbers sometimes. If you have uh, 100 heads, you may do the fence if you're talking about 400 cows that you have to wean or 500 or 1,000 of them. Uh, some just remove the cows to, an to another pasture, keep the cows on that for for a day or two and then move them somewhere else. Uh, that's more stressful, but uh, I don't think that, have that, 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 that has a huge impact on, on, on the, uh, the calf's performance in the future. What has the major impact is how well he grows from birth, even before birth, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, how well he grows from birth to weaning, and then it's very critical after weaning this until he's a year old or maybe nine months old, what do you do? What are you going to do? What is, what is the diet for that calf? If he drops the <coughs> performance, if he drops the, his growth, then we're hurting that calf ability to develop uh, fatness. We're hurting the developing of all of this adipocyte, the fat cells. Fat cells develop early on before birth. We know that in the last few months of uh, uh, gestation, we're developing many of these adipocyte numbers, cells, fat cells in the future, future fat cells. The first few months of, uh, um, excuse me, the, the, the uh, uh, months from four to six months of age, there is another um, wave of developing, the, of the, uh, for the development of these adipocytes, fat cells. And it, I, I understand from what I know, uh, I've been reading about, I guess, that until about a year of age, there is a lot of impact of the diet on this prolifer pro proliferation of these adipocytes. And these are the little fat cells in the muscle that we will fill up in the future. Although there is a turnover and they keep developing, but there's an impact on what we do early on on that calf, preparing that calf for this ability to fatness, to, to fatten in the future. So we don't want to hurt that calf early, put him to suffer on his mother or even by himself too early, because that, that, that finishing ability will not happen. And I don't have enough information on, on this muscle and connective tissue ratios, uh, uh, the effects on that, the diet on his mother, and then what will happen to connective tissue in the future. But uh, most likely there is a correlation. But so far, where we know that the fattening ability is also associ is associated to what happened uh, during this early time, early times when the calf was on his mother and right after weaning. So. Again, I don't know if I've answered, but uh, I think if we're not sure what kind of forage or diet that calf is going to have, we are better off keeping that calf on the cow. And you say, yeah, but the cow may not rebreathe back. She's already bred or she's open. That story is over. <coughs> See, we may have to destock if she's, she's not going to breathe back the next, the next season. But <coughs> Removing the calf from the cow when that calf is already six months old, four months old, it's not going to help the, the, the actual breeding because 
should be over already. If it's not over yet, we, we have a major mess. We have a six, seven month breeding season and we do not, and we're not on control. We're not controlling our, 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 our operation. The operation is running us. Does that make any sense? We could keep, we're going to keep talking about this all for <laughs> over and over. But again, let's keep uh, going here. So let's go back to our stakes here. Uh, see the, 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 the whiteness? These are grass-fed, pasture-finished, whatever. Uh, yellowness, you have to measure here. Of course, if I put a stake here that was a grain-fed, and I bring that machine, it will tell me that uh, this will look a slightly yellowish compared to uh, the white fat that we produce out of corn, or a corn or sorghum-based diet. But, but this is pretty white. Uh, this guy here has a little less marbling, but again, this is to show that maybe this here, this is not exactly marbling, this is development of connective tissue uh, more than anything. We have a little more marbling here though than exactly here. So, does that, does that connective tissue mean that it's going to be tougher? It's likely this is going to be slightly tougher, yes. Yes. So this, this actually, this steak it was as tender as, uh, more tender than this, although it was as a little less fat. It has enough less fat, intramuscular fat, but it has enough back fat here that that steak cuts, uh, I mean, ages well, and we have no problem during aging, and uh, protects the moisture. All right, so I really don't see a, a problem. This wouldn't make a low choice. They were just going to make more like a high standard or standard, but uh, the tenderness-wise, tenderness they're the same, or this one is even better. Okay, this is another study that we did, uh, we're not finished yet with it, but uh, <clears throat> sometimes things are not exactly a match, but uh, we went uh, for two years and three years of age at slaughter. Two years and three years. Uh, again, you see what I was talking about, shear force? Even up to three years, what did we do here? We put in these animals, these three-year-old animals at slaughter, we didn't put them through a struggle we actually kept them on a, on, a, on a low but consistent rate of gain. So they were gaining well, not as good as the other ones, um, but not a lot of struggle. And we ended up with a similar shear force. Same group, we had a control group with a feed uh, feedlot uh, finished animals. This was slightly 28 newtons against 29. Uh, and here we have a comparison of the feedlot versus grazing, combining the two and three year old, 28.6, 31. This tenderness here shows different in the, in the numbers, but there is no significant effect. And uh, no panel can tell this apart. No taste panel can tell, can tell this, this shear force, this tenderness score apart. Um, aging, three days, 14 days, three days, 14 days. See how aging drops the uh, tenderness, increases the tenderness, drops the shear force? Hmm? And this is significant. SE is a standard error, it's a, it's a statistical. Yes, sir? When you say aging, we're talking dry aging, wet aging? This is dry aging. It's a dry aging three days or 14 days. Hung in the carcass in a cooler, and then cutting the sample off 
and then freezing that sample for analysis. You mentioned the cheesecloth blanket. Not in this, not in this case. We didn't need it, but uh, if the cooler is too, uh, it's big and it's too cold. Sometimes the freezing on the side, then the cheesecloth blanket helps us to protect from over over chilling or freezing the outside. I hope you enjoyed this presentation. Well, check out the episode notes. And always remember the advice from cows and be outstanding in your field. See you next time.